Good evening and welcome to Chasing Squirrels podcast. The, um, I guess it's official now. I'm into the second season. I really wrestled with the fact as to whether or not I would only do a six-month stint for the first season and then in September jump into season two. But someone on one of my former podcasts said you might as well start fresh and do a full school year. So this is second season and I got to say I'm starting off with a pretty cool conversation tonight. So... Prior to hitting record, my guest and I kept on coming back, kept on coming back to this really, really powerful tool that educators um, really should have, I guess, in their wheelhouse. And that's, that's, it's the power of reflective practice and sort of that whole thinking about thinking about thinking and trying to make sense of your context and Hopefully, through conversations tonight, we're gonna we're gonna amplify that a little bit. Plus, we're gonna talk about a whole bunch of other stuff, like tech and school. Like we might even get to talk about micro credentialing, maybe even about conferences inside and outside of Canada. But needless to say, really happy to have Jen Apgar on the podcast tonight. And Jen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Super super excited. It's cool, eh? Like this is kind of cool, and I know we were kind of just doing a little bit of a a little bit of a, a audiophile love fest before we hit record, but it is kind of cool the whole podcasting thing. Yeah, I have a new appreciation for listening and without video, and uh, how you can just walk and listen and wherever you are, just absorb it. So I'm excited. I'm a talker too, so I'm going to practice my listening and talking skills tonight. Cool. So I'll throw down the first first little challenge here, and I'm I'm always curious on the front end about um, you know often uh, not often I'll say 99% of the time the people that I talk to on the podcast it's because I've come across something something online something in their social media feed something in a blog that they've posted an article a magazine can't even be like the 140 characters some tweet that caught my attention um, I will say. You are all of that. I have little bits of stories that I could tie to each one of those. Um, but it's still, I'm always fascinated about um, the stories that aren't usually posted. And one of them is sort of the origin story. So that idea, that not that idea, but the, how did you come to education? Was it uh, sort of brought to you? Did you go for it? Were there teachers in your family? How did, uh, how well, did you become? I think it started, so I'm the oldest in my immediate family and I have four younger brothers um my mom wasn't was a trained as a teacher but didn't work as a teacher when I was growing up um she stayed at home and took care of us uh so I don't think that was it um but I was sort of always a leader into a lot of team sports type things and then I was actually reflecting on this earlier today um I remember I think it was grade 10 sociology and I decided that I loved studying and thinking about groups of people but it wasn't what I, I didn't know what I wanted to do so I did a um, an undergrad at McMaster um, played rugby there and really liked all my sociology courses actually I was saying to somebody that um, I picked all my courses so I didn't have to get up before 10:30, and that worked with my uh, rugby practices but I also purposely took things that I was interested in so I didn't take sociology of work and I didn't take sociology of education because at that point in my life uh, I was not interested in it um, and then I got a job in sports admin working for Ontario University Athletics and um, I was liking that I was liking problem solving and working with groups of people there and then I do remember like having an aha moment. So I wasn't a, someone who always wanted to be a teacher, but I was actually um, at a uh, rugby tournament in Ottawa and underneath the bleachers. And there was a, a young kid there, somebody who was playing son and who was like doing something with rocks. And I was just there sort of playing with this kid and talking to them about things and ideas. And I just said, I want to do this all the time. I want to, to hang out with young people when they're doing and discovering things. So uh, I actually applied to Teachers College in Ontario that year in, I guess it would have been 2001 uh, or 2000, I guess. And at that point was, you had a one in 11 chance of getting anywhere in anywhere in Ontario. Uh, I did 
not get in. I think I was on a waiting list for Lakehead. So I said, okay, um, well, I will do teacher's college abroad. And then uh, originally I thought I was going to do teacher's college and then teach abroad. So I knew I wanted to travel a bit and that didn't work out. So I thought of the UK first and then again, wasn't someone who always wanted to go to Australia, but went there, fell in love with it, uh, met my wife and the rest is history. Came back and got in supply teaching, and uh, and that's my that's my origin story into education. Um, I can keep going on the journey if you want, or you can interject. <laughs> you know what? You're you're more than welcome to throw down. You know, chapter two. I guarantee bits and pieces are going to creep out in our convo, though. Okay. Can I can I yeah, ask you ahead. a question sort of like an along the path question? So between that moment where you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, I would really like to do this like more, kind of like for the rest of my life. And then at some point you emerge a teacher and then you walk into the classroom. Did anything strike you as kind of different than what the dream was set up to be at that moment? You know, that point of realization um, of of the, the dream and then you step into the classroom. Was there anything, any moment where you thought, yeah, this is exactly like I thought it would be? This is a little bit different? Or did you sort of withhold judgment what was it like walking in in that that first week or that that first whatever your first portfolio was yeah well it's interesting because um i think my my uh teacher's college experience my first practicum sort of gave me the the straight up so i was in a grade six and in australia it was called an opportunity class so it was a congregated uh class for gifted learners that would all travel in so full time and i remember being sort of intimidated by that at the beginning and my my advisor mentor teacher he was like you know these kids are going to give you a hard time and um and he wanted me to teach grammar so this is grammar in australia which i still don't understand australian grammar because of the accent and how they conjugate things um so i was like oh and i was not strong in grammar i had no interest in teaching grammar (laughs) so uh but i went online actually at that time and found this one lesson so i googled it um back before i really i was using web crawler i think that or meta crawler then still um but i found uh, a grade 11 grammar lesson i'm like well we'll do this because i don't even understand what this means and then the kids had liked the challenge and that was when i realized i'm like oh i was one of these kids too like it's just that they want to be engaged and challenged and so i I earned their respect by uh, not dumbing it down like not so saying okay this is grade 11 grammar let's just do it and figure it out and it was thankfully somewhat of an interesting uh i mean it was a worksheet (laughs) but we sort of unpacked it in an interesting way and i was able to share sort of how in canada some things might look different um and so from there that sort of made me not nervous about not getting it right for the people that matter, which were the learners. So when I came back to Canada, I got I was doing supply teaching. So that's trial by fire. Um, but I enjoyed that because I feel like I had a decent balance of uh, trying to get to know the learners in that context, but knowing and, and not trying to be their buddy, but also not trying to be their person that was their main teacher in that routine. And then I did land in a long-term occasional um, where... I was teaching a grade four or five gifted class, which I had some experience with. And my wife always jokes that you teach the way you teach. I don't know if which came first, the chicken or the egg, but I approached things from a very project-based inquiry, critical thinking lens, because again, that was what uh, was common for meeting the needs of, of gifted learners. And now in every context, I've applied that. So I don't know if I gravitated towards that role. I mean, it was the job that I got and it was for two months um, or, if I felt safe doing it in in that role, but it sort of, I can't separate which came first, that chicken or egg, but that sort of informed who I was. And I've, as I've matured in my teaching career, also became more more confident in that, even though it didn't necessarily match what was going on prior to the big push towards 21st century competencies and, and, and the lot. So what's what's your up, bring us up to speed then. So what's your current current portfolio then? Where, where yeah. are you at now? So fast forward, I did that for 10 years, including a, uh, a year and a half off with my daughter and then went back to do half time so I could stay home part of the time to do primary planning. Um, and then I'm now in my fourth year as a role. My title currently is 21st Century Technology Coach. So I have a, I'm housed with our elementary curriculum team, but um, my portfolio is K to 10. Um, and I try to think of an elevator pitch because in other worlds, that's what you do. So. Uh, helping uh, teachers effectively um, leverage technology to empower the 
the learners in their classroom to, to you know meet the needs of what they need for the future. It it sounds similar to something. I'm in our board. We have I believe they're still called consultants. Um, in in our board in particular, we call them their centrally allocated positions. So it's you you're not necessarily in a classroom, but you're you're looking to set the roots for. I would say for the teachers, but also like, do you get to work with students ever? Are you primarily working towards students through other teachers? Yeah, it's been it's been a mixed bag in the four years as sort of um, things evolve in in where I fit in different places and things. I would say it's been primarily building capacity for for and with teachers. Um, I mean, I always love an opportunity to to work with and be with students, but instead of me, I don't do a lot of, I mean, I've done some modeled sort of teaching and lesson, lessons um, in certain contexts, but then try and follow that up with building capacity of the of the teacher to do that on, on their own. So I don't do a lot of long-term placements with a particular teacher, but am, am working with their sort of teams and, and doing professional developments as a system um, on how to how to embrace that and, and helping administrators too, about, you know, what kind of culture and practice and not just what tools do you need but what what takes it to that to the level that it, it needs to be at so mm-hmm. often set you know like board plans and other long-term plans sort of making the suggestion of where like typically are your is something like that is it um in in our board the let's say the consultancy framework can okay i'll go in a different route can you stay in your position as long as you do do you reapply for it? Is it sort of yours as a position until what? How does that work? Well, and I think, and so I'm learning too, um, that could be different in different board contexts. So um, just because I know I have colleagues who are in a similar type role who's used to be you got that job and you could stay at that job forever. Um, as of some year in our board, that is n- not true for any new system roles. So people who are still in a role can stay forever. Um, but I think most of those roles now are gone, except for the people who are still in them. So mine's a three three year term. So the role for it, I've just finished my third year, so I had to reapply. Uh, the job title did change, but it's it's basically a very similar job. So I had to reapply to that. Um, and you're allowed to do it for you're allowed to do the same system role for two concurrent terms. Mm-hmm. So uh, and then you could do another role in the team, but it couldn't be the same role. Yeah, we we have similar. It was sort of my, it's funny. So I am in the classroom. So in my context, I'm working with students that have been expelled or suspended. Um, but it's a centrally allocated position. So I didn't really interview at a school per se. We have four sites that do this in our school board. I interviewed kind of at the board level. And then the board, our school board, um, after the first year of last year was my first year. This is my second year. The board added my program or the program that I work for into that centrally allocated. So what that they, it, I knew going in that it was a three, it was going to be a three plus one. So they say it's three years or there. Right. Could be, as could be a, a plus one year if, um, there's a couple different possibilities. You're, you're working on a project that still continues through to that fourth year. Um, right. You look at the surplus pool when you're coming out and there's just, kind of dog's breakfast so you could or at the behest of the superintendents where they say you know what we'd kind of like you to stay one more one more year longer so there's lots of possibilities in there but for sure after four years um i could apply for a different consultancy um i cannot apply for my same position again and the only way that i could get out of my current position as far as a term goes is if i somehow qualified for a coordinator's role so the coordinator being someone that's kind of organizing the consultants so yeah it's always interesting to hear how because there still are boards where you get it and you can stay uh you can stay as long as you as long as you're relevant i guess i that's i guess that's what it kind of comes down to like if you're not you know bringing if you're not bringing the um bringing the learning in some way i'm sure there's a mechanism to say well come on step it up or whatever I've heard more about from the American colleagues that it seems like if you can get into that role, you can actually, you can stay quite long. Like you can keep, keep doing it. And I think, I think from what I understand it, it has like, so are you, you're secondary, correct? I am. 
Yeah, so I think it has to, it's union based. So I don't know if it's the same for OSSTF as it is for EDFO. I think that's part of the reason to, I mean, I guess they can't, uh, it's like, so I know for any of our system roles, as I understand it, you also still, for the first three year term, you belong to your school that you left. After, if you repeat a term in the same role, you give up that role. And this, I know this also from Matt Leave, because if you take an additional year, you, you have to give up uh, your your same job position and then a year again you have to give up you can give up your same school so if it's available you could get it but otherwise you belong to the system and they could place you anywhere um, so again I don't know all the the logistics as to the why but uh, yeah it's interesting because I know your your role that you just which I'm really interested in as well I'm going to visit one of our sites um, they've asked for some support uh, in a role similar to yours and I'm pretty sure I actually just met with their the vice principal of those schools who and who all of our, our section schools are have the same administrators saying that uh, yeah a lot of people have been there for a really long time and so they don't always get the same professional development that comes in traditional schools so anyway it's just interesting that you that you say that because I think I don't think that's the case for those roles because they're teaching roles yeah I'm not sure though Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I left my former school, I actually gave up a position of responsibility. So I was the head of alternative education. Um, and then I have no connection to that school anymore. So okay. the program that I'm in, the four sites, were considered to be a school. So we're like our own school within the school board. Gotcha. So right now I'm, I am a teacher. It's called Access. The program is called Access. So I'm a teacher for the Access school. Um, when my term finishes, I have no, I have nowhere to go other than what I find for myself, or if there's an opportunity, you know, that I, wow. uh, that I find that I find for myself. Yeah, it was a. Yeah. I, I have a job. I have a yeah. job. I'll work somewhere, and I have skill sets that I'm hoping, hoping they'll connect with someone. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I think they will. I'm hopeful. But part of it is. Um, coming back into this, coming, doing this particular role was a passion play. It was something that I, I knew that I wanted to be involved in and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go for it. And, and I'm confident that I can, I can keep building skill sets and I'll find something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll find something. I wanted to, um, I wanted to, there was something that you had mentioned and I'm trying to very quickly scribble down and I can't even make sense of what I scribbled here. Um, I think it was, it was something coming out of the, um, when you mentioned that you're about to connect, you're going to connect with a school that sounds similar to mine. I know that, uh, you know, please, please pass along my Twitter handle because I've yeah. I have I have desperately tried to reach out to programs that work with uh, students that have been uh, suspended and expelled, and they're really difficult to find. Well, I will totally I will I will totally make that connection. I haven't met. I have been in this site uh, twice in my role, but it's not, it's a new staff member. So, and the email came through a colleague of mine who said, okay, you have more, you've got sort of more of the spec ed background. Plus you've been to the site before and you want to go together and see what we can do to help, you know, uh, build capacity of the staff. We want this is what they're asking for. And, and as you likely know too, there's different challenges in a suspension expulsion program, um, right? Like that are logistical, not just being in our case off site, but, yeah, so I will totally, I will, I will do, I will uh, not push it hard, but I will definitely say, hey, here's a cool, here's a cool person I was talking to, and and you feel sort of probably isolated even within our board, and if you're the only, like, I don't know, do you have more than one suspension expulsion program? We have, only have one. We have four sites just for just for secondary in our board, so our school board is split up into four regions, and there's one access site in each region. That's just for secondary. We also have access at elementary. And as to, so, to what? What's the lowest grade that would go into that? Is that's a no- really great. That's a really great question. I just know that it exists. I think, yeah. and I don't know if they are on site or off site, but it's a similar program. So it's students that have been suspended or expelled from elementary school. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure ours is. We have one, and it's. I think it's grade six and up. Uh, but again, we're a much smaller board, right? Like, but but even just to connect with someone, because even yeah, no, definitely, I will definitely try and make that happen for you. Cool. Can can I throw down one of the the first things that really made me think? You know what? I, I I need to talk to this person. Sure. All right. So um, 
I, I lurked your blogs, had a look at what was your 1.0 blog, yeah. and then you have a you have a new uh, a Google site that's in process, and somewhere somewhere in between there, and I don't I don't know, I don't know if it you if you had posted it right on your blog or if it was an actual tweet. But there was something it was something in the words that said, you know, if you want to if you want to kind of follow my thoughts, some of the stuff I'm thinking about right now, go to Twitter. It was and I and I I'm not doing the words properly, but there was sort of a redirect. Like in the meantime, until my new site is up, you know, follow me on Twitter. And this got me thinking about the the different methods that educators use for reflective practice. And it's it's funny because up to that point I had never thought, I hadn't, it's, it's sort of, it's mind-blowing to me, but I hadn't thought of Twitter as a place for reflective practice. And then there was a second conversation that um, I sort of observed between uh, you and Andrew Campbell when you were, you were sort of going back and forth a little bit about um, sort of teachers seeing purpose in using Twitter and how, you know, there's some questioning there. Do we use it? Don't I use it? And if there was any sort of like, it's not, it's not really a credible tool for communication, but I'm, I'm curious. And it, so here's the question. Do you think Twitter, do you think Twitter is a, is a good medium for reflective practice? Well, and you can switch out good, good might not be the right word, but that's the gist. That's where I'm kind of like going here. Yeah. Twitter as a tool for reflective practice. So I feel like I'll tell you why I like it uh, for for me and how I use it, and then the pros and cons of that. I'll try and be reflective as I do it. So, um, so just to get extra meta, um, I feel like so uh, interesting, and I'm not usually ever wordless. Um, I think why it is good. So I'm just going to go with that. Good because, okay, so cheap, easy, free, all of those purposes, um, and in the moment. So I think with reflection, and this is what I've, I've learned um, in my years in this role, talking to a lot of kindergarten educators about documentation, what is pedagogical documentation, and, and, ref- and so cap- documenting something and then reflecting on it. Um, is sort of necessary and it's funny that you even call them my blogs because like my I call them like my sort of not great website warehouses I did blog when I was in the classroom and uh, people say oh you should write more and and I feel like 140 characters I have a fast tangential brain Um, and I like to I like to reflect in the moment and it's not that I don't value going deeper or longer in reflection but I'm also a social extrovert so I want to I want the potential of feedback I don't need it like I don't it's not I need a lot of likes but in the moment if someone writes something like this makes me reflect and, and I think I'm I'm purposely trying to model a reflection uh to taking risks and being vulnerable with people in a hopefully digitally citizenshipy type way um and then if that engages and, and has people reflect back um then that benefits me as the the learner or the person reflecting um hopefully benefits them um and so i think it's it's good sort like good in that way because it doesn't it's not a lot of investment so you can sort of do it in the moment um why it might not be as strong is it's possibly could be surface but i think with i try to frame my questions and my my prompts for myself my provocations um as something that could go critical think like could be like uh provocative in a in a critical thinking way i like any fetters sort of um have you seen her math uh talking about um what do you notice what do you wonder are you familiar with that yeah so i like so i i've even tried to because i realize it's kind of like someone saying i feel as opposed to something is so if i say minecraft is a good game or i say i feel minecraft is a good game it's like i wonder if minecraft could be an effective tool for um, teaching math. I wonder. I, I notice that kids like it. I notice there's a lot of math in it. I wonder if it could be. And someone says, "Well, no, it can't." So I go, "Well, I wonder." And then I again try to help people be reflective. Well, I wonder why we think it can't, right? Like, and so, and then it sort of gets you to hopefully go sort of deeper into 
and because I, I enjoy doing that with people. So um, is it good for that purpose? I would think so. And because it, it, it lends itself to being interactive. I remember I, I, this is like projects that I think of in my head and then never do. And I was thinking of, I was going to call it um, diablog. Like, so instead of dialogue, like a diablog where, because I want the back and forth, like I can, I know journaling is supposed to be and is very good for people just to talk, talk to their own brain out loud. Um, but I, even as a kid, like when I would write a journal, I would like, I had a hard time writing something that nobody would read other than me, even though it would be a different me at a different time. Um, I wanted to know what other people thought. And maybe cause I, it's, a, it's my social brain. It's my large family brain. Um, maybe, maybe at some point I was scared of what I just would think of myself later. I remember my grade seven journal, like, and I t would tell my students this too, like I ripped it up and set it on fire. And now as an adult, I would, and it, mostly because it was embarrassing. There was nothing, I, I mean, again, thankfully there was nothing in there that, you know, was traumatic or bad. It was just embarrassing as an adult, as a, as probably most people's reflections during puberty would be. But then as an older adult, I'm like, oh, why did my grade 10 self do that to my grade seven self? So I make sure to tell kids this. I'm like, it put it away in a box and then don't look at it because it might be cool to look at that again later. And I think what I like about Twitter is it's because I can do the advanced search or whatever is if I use, I sometimes do funny hashtags, I do hashtags for myself, but then I can find them later if I want to go back, but I don't have to. And maybe in the meantime, they've benefited somebody else. Maybe they've, I mean, I've only gotten into two, only one debate where I sort of felt heated enough that I needed to leave. Um, which is very unlike my character, but I, but I wanted to like a teacher understand this person and where they were coming from. And then I just realized they were kind of maybe a disguised troll and I needed to walk away. Yeah. What, um, so, okay. So it's a little bit of a two-parter. Let's, 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 uh, go present time. Is there anything, is there anything that, um, frustrates you about your reflective practice as in it's sort of like it's just it and it comes down to like like I think to myself there's always there's the thing that I'm thinking about and then I tend to get frustrated not about the thing that I'm debating about but how I think about it and I sort of think to myself I need a better way to figure this thing out because I was talking today with my colleague um so I work with a CYW a counselor and we were, I was talking about how I create a thing and I kind of move on. Um, she asked how many of my podcasts have, you know, the conversation is like, how many, how many of the podcasts have you listened to? And I said, I haven't gone back and re-listened to any of them. And she's like, why? And I said, because I was right there in the moment for the whole thing. I was there. I was present. I, I was in there. There was no point where it was getting too far ahead of me, too far behind me. I was there for the whole thing. I've gone back and listened to sort of parts of ones, but I've never done anything all the way through. And that tends to be a bit of a frame, both fortune and faulty in my reflective practice is I tend to always move forward with it for better, for worse. I would say that's, that's the thing that frustrates me. I have a really hard time about returning to the reflective practice. It is a practice unto itself. Like I don't go back and look at the artifacts again. What about for you in your reflective practice? What bugs you about your practice? It's interesting because as you said that, I'm like, oh, I'm kind of, I'm totally the same way, but it doesn't bug me in the same way. But then I'm trying to figure out why, because I like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, why yeah. doesn't it bug me? So it's like, well, so what is the intent behind like reflection in general? So if and I think I think of my my personal social media. Like, uh, now I didn't used to have on Facebook like a year ago today. This happened, and then people kept posting them all the time. I'm like, oh well, I want to find out what was happening a year ago. I generally don't post them, but it's interesting to bring you back to a moment in time of which you can reflect on that. Like so, photos and personally, I I think about that. I guess so. In I loved your example because I don't generally go back consciously, but I'm wondering if you're if you're reflecting in the moment, so if, if, if in this podcast, um, you didn't like the direction, something, something went, would you remember that enough to have changed it in the second time? Like, I guess it's now I'm, now I'm asking you the questions. 
No, you can do. You can go for it too. Um, okay, so it's so there. Okay, we can get. I love it. We're getting meta. We're getting philosophical, and we're we're digging deep into edu. So is there a so is it a separate is learning and reflection two separate functions of a of a third thing? So for me, reflecting is very much in the moment. It doesn't project forward. It really doesn't project backwards. If if I'm I find myself if I'm being reflective. You said you have a ten, uh, you had mentioned be having a tangent ten, tangent. Don't you say it? What did you say? Tangential. Tangent. I love it. Tangent. Ten, yeah, tangential. Right what did you say? Attention span or focus? What was the word that you put after that? Oh, probably both. Like, so there we go. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, I do the exact same thing, right? You know, you could see people call us streamers. So part of the um, that frame is that um, I need to my reflective practice anchors me to anchors me to my starting point, and I tend to let myself float away. When I feel the yank, I, I go back to ground. So I don't my learning then. Oh, now you got me thinking about this. So. You know, how do I learn from, if I take the example, is it, is it, oh God, is it, so if I, if I felt like I've made, if mistakes were made within a podcast, that was the frame that you suggested, yeah. right? So if there was a mistake made within the podcast, either myself or the guest, let's say. Yeah. Would I change it? I'm trying to think of if I've added... See, but I didn't always... mean for the future. No, no, no. So I think, cause, okay, sorry. Yeah, that's a good question too. But I was meaning in the future. So say, for example, um, and I can't think of a, because in listening to your other podcasts, like it's it's really is a story and a conversation, right? So I don't mm -hmm. mean you go back and clean it up and make it look pretty for social media. No, moving I mean, forward. Like, yeah, to a next podcast. So if there was something in Duckworth's podcast, I thought, oh, I have to kind of, I need to work on that thing. Did I, did I create, a moment of practice where then I thought, okay, when I talk to Jen, I got to make sure that I'm sort of aware of this. Um, or am I watching for it? Am I setting it up ahead of time? You know what? I don't think I'm that smart. I'm going to admit it. I don't think I'm that smart. I think that, again, I come back to if I'm staying. You think about a conversation that you have, a conversational moment with someone that you, you it, and, and it can be illusory. But if it feels real, like you have trust and you have rapport and you have good connection and then something comes out of that. So you've chosen wisely on the front end. I think I fall on the sort of there isn't any possibility that a mistake can be made. And so right away, what you've forced me to do with this is now think about that from a student perspective. <laughs> so yep. a student in a classroom, what would be the what would be the equivalent moment for a student when they're when they're in class going through a learning experience in class where they've chosen so wisely that the outcome is almost predestined i honestly don't think that i feel i don't have a recount i know that i made mistakes in the very first podcast with um jen giffen because i had a list of 45 questions that I thought is what you need to ask in a podcast. And I knew partway through that I just had to go with the conversation. And in pursuing that truth, I almost feel like that's where I was supposed to be in the first place. So maybe the podcast is a... Yeah, sorry. Maybe it's a bad... Sorry, I now I interrupted. Maybe it's a bad example or, or it's a hard one because... But you did reflect. Like, obviously, and you reflected in real time. Yeah. Going, this is going wrong. And so you adjusted. So you were responsive to the situation based on what you already knew. But I liked your example of the kids. Like, so students, because I know... And I'm, this is a probably not a great example, but I remember, like, as a... If I really like my essay as a kid, I mean, if I actually want to write the essay... And this all goes into, oh, this goes so EDU, because this goes to feedback, right? Mm -hmm. If the feedback's for the learner, then the learner has to understand and believe and value the next step. And and I remember I had, I, I'm thinking of some students I had, and they were solid students. And I was really, this is earlier in my teaching career. And they were, I mean, again, bright, 
bright kids, but in, in, in the rubric that I've given them, and I, and I assess differently now anyway, but um, they were an A minus, right? And so I'm like, I don't want to tell them to A plus it up, but I was trying to give them examples. And then I realized how like shallow and aesthetic this is, but I'll share the story because it's good learning. It's like, okay, have you ever read the Archie comic? And there's an Archie comic where Archie has his like jalopy and Reggie has like his fancy sports car and they switch and they put the fancy sports car shell on the jalopy and they put the um, jalopy shell on the fancy sports car. So it looks like garbage and it's going to fall apart. It's Archie car, but it has a really fast engine. I said like always in your work, you want to have like a solid car that works. It doesn't have to be faster. But I said, but you also want it to like, so what I want you to do is put the paint on and the, and like, take it from an A minus to an A plus. But then I'm also realizing they didn't value, like they didn't value that. They're like, we know what's important is that it's got a good, strong engine, that it's a sports car. So why are, we don't care about the frills and why do you like, they didn't. And so, um, I guess that's the piece to that reflection is like, if I say, okay, reflect on how you could do this better. Do they care? Would they want to? Whereas if somebody, and I guess that's a piece is that, and are they doing it to please me or are they doing it for their learning? That was a lot of tangents. Sorry. No, you know, it's, I, I, I'm, um, I try and create a context where I, I get, you know, the guests kind of take that pause and say, what about you, Clough? What about like, you know, like <laughs> give me a little bit of a push, like to, to think about my practice on this. I mean, part of doing the podcast is it's my gosh, it feels, it feels like a very, it's, it's an extended reflection right it's sort of like you know i exist in these one hour slots every once in a while except what i get to do is co-opt somebody else's brain and kind of like dance through reflection together and it's a very you know there it's very satisfying um but there is a little bit of there's a kaleidoscopic kind of outcome to it where was that my thought or was that their thought was i thinking that really was i thinking that well maybe i'll go back and listen and then i don't i kind of move on there's um you know, uh, I've, I had a colleague say, you know, I don't, I don't do reflective practice. I just, I just, I'm, I, I do everything that I need to do in the moment. And I do my learning in the moment. And I'm willing to make that mistake in the moment. And that, that is the reflective practice. So I'm not adjusting outside, outside of game time. They say it's not to mean that I don't professionally develop myself. But what I won't do at the same time, a boss of mine used to say, um, so before I became a teacher, I was a, I was a chef. And um, when I first took on one of my first big kind of restaurants, uh, I was not only, I was sort of in charge of running the kitchen, but also running the management and numbers side. And I can remember how frustrating, it, how difficult it was to be working at the grill, like doing whatever, right in the kitchen, and then also writing the manuals and the uh, staff guidelines at the same time. Like I was getting incredible information while I was in the middle of it, um, but then having to find the time to be able to sort of put it to paper. But what I learned from that is that's that's really necessary, like to be able to have that. I think that's a little bit why I also asked the question about your connection to the kids, is that you know what informs your practice is that data set the right data set? And your data set can come after the fact if you do reflective practice. So you sort of do you sort of do the work and then you sit down and you write a piece or you sort of whatever that is, where you sort of sit down and you you ruminate and go back through the events. I think for me, I prefer to keep it messy in the moment and not expect to tie it up. No expectation of closure or completion leave it kind of on fire still when you're in the middle of it. And I like that you've pushed my thinking this way because I don't, I don't know if I've ever, despite the fact I like to write and I put a lot of my thoughts down on paper and I put them in a lot of different places. I don't know if I've ever confronted myself with what it is about my reflective practice that I'm doing. And I wonder if you were to put, you put that to a group of teachers in let's say a PD session where, okay, first we're going to talk about reflective practice. And it was like, okay, cool. Everyone does like a little one paragraph blog posty kind of thing. And then you sort of put back and say, and why did you do that? <laughs> you just got to drop the mic, walk out. Well, I don't know. Well, and I, and I love that. I love the, the why part, but I'm wondering, so this it's funny because you're coming to a different conclusion and I'm like, no, we're saying the same thing. Um, but, but I, I'm wondering if it's, if it's embedded so I'm going to try to, I love food analogies. And so, because like if, 
if you're learning to become a chef, then you then you learn probably in is that you should taste your food, right? And so, but then you're just tasting your food as you go, or you know when to put salt, or you don't, because like so, it's, you're only reflecting if it's a new recipe or something that you haven't made before, or something's gone different, and you like so maybe like does it have to happen as consciously and when so sandra herbst i don't know if you've ever had a chance to hear her speak um she's a superintendent yes so she always like and we we talk about this in our team so like turn the mirror inward and so it's i think it's being cognizant of of your why right like i'm a big simon Sinek fan too is that so can i answer why and then do i trust that my why is not biased and that's what i then reflect on right like that's what i when we were talking before the podcast is that okay so i think my students are learning this and then and in our team we talk a lot about data so what's all the data that says this what diagnostic did you do that says this i'm like uh, well and I, I reflect on my practice i'm like i don't think i did a lot of fo- well i say right now i didn't do a lot of formal diagnostics um, and again, maybe it was the cohort in which I was working with. I got away with that, but I don't, I was not trying to scam anybody, but if my students had to come in the program reading two grades above level, then I seemed redundant to me to assess their reading level, right? Because in, unless they were sliding, right? But I knew the students and I felt like, so I was doing all these informal diagnostics, but then we also talked about, well, did you document it? I'm like, so I could prove it to somebody else that I was doing my job or for myself or for the learner. Cause that's the other piece. I'm not saying don't do these things, but I'm always thinking, what is the, what is the intent and purpose behind it? Because, and then it comes to do, do we trust ourselves? And then how does that relate to teacher efficacy? Right? Cause we've been thinking and talking about that a lot is okay. But what makes, um, and I mean, in a very, and this is very simple terms, cause I know it's much deeper than that. But if you think you're a good teacher, you are a good teacher. Well, if you believe you are a good teacher, you are a good teacher. Is that what efficacy is? It's like, okay, but what, what, what makes you believe it? And I love what you said. And even the way you talked about your podcast, because, um, I mean, in, in a deep way, like, do you have, do you have a, a, and again, I know it's an overused term sometimes, but a growth mindset as it relates to embedded reflective real-time practice with empathy for your learners, knowing that you're a learner too, but as an educator, um, your learning is important. You're a co-learner, but I mean, our job is there for, like I always say, well, there wouldn't be a school board if there weren't kids. Of course, yeah. it's an urgent student learning need. We don't, yes, we have teacher needs, but only to serve student needs because if there were no students, we would have no jobs. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what that, that was just a lot of mind dump. <laughs> no, it's good. What it made me realize, I think what I can, I think that um, the why I love that you threw the the this uh, Simon Simon says in there, um, because my why is at at some small way it's um, why don't I know more about education? <laughs> like what the why? That's my why. My my at the heart of my why is why, and then I go about procedurally. How am I going to learn more about the story of education? And I really do have come to embrace the idea that you know it it does unfold like like a story through stories, bunch of stories, but the big story. And and I think that part of my reflective practice, what I've come to realize, is that it's less about I don't I don't know what the next chapter is until. I kind of come across somebody that seems to be seems to be talking about something that interests me in education and my interests evolve because um you know the the same sort of story doesn't connect with me a second time so I am looking for sort of new chapters but I think I become reflective in the moment with the next person I'm talking about and so, you know, you've triggered and pushed back for me to sort of explain reflective practice. This is the first time I've ever gone there. Like, I haven't ever spoken to it yet. This whole experience of doing a podcast is one long meta experiment of reflection. So it's it's interesting to sort of be in that place right now because it's sort of, it, um, I, I, I like looking at it this way. I, I, I ruminate about the technical aspects of the podcast but I don't sort of fret over what could happen during it. I just kind of go with it. Which is the, which is the meat of it too, right? Like, so, if, to, so to me, if, if my microphone is creak, creaky or my message dings that I didn't turn off are in the podcast, that's, that's a, that's a not, I mean, 
going back to the Archie and the jalopy, like, so maybe there's some dents in the, in the paint or it's not perfect. That's not what matters. I mean, the meat of it is, and the fact that you're that comfortable. So that's the other piece is that in your, you're ready to do a podcast. You're ready to have these conversations. You're ready to take that risk. You've had success and the people, and you obviously have your, you're choosing people that it's working, right? So, I mean, if you, so your, your professional judgment, we talk about that in education all the time of who to choose and when serves two purposes, who to choose it's, it's safe or safe in the sense that it's not gone totally rogue. And, um, I mean, it's not live, so you can just get rid of it. Right. But, but, uh, but also that it's, it's the next step in your journey. And when I did some design thinking work, um, people would always say it's the right people in the room at the right time. Right. And I was also thinking like my one analogy, I remember one of the first presentations I did on technology in our board at our learning fair was about my, you know, my going into web 2.0. And again, this was before a lot of people in the board were going here in, in a sort of holistic way. And I was saying, you know, don't, it's like, like Twitter trying to read everything on Twitter or my dad always tries to read everything on Facebook and he doesn't even have a ton of friends. He, he gets exhausted and it stresses him out. It's like answering all his emails, like they're directly for him. And I'm like, it's like drinking from a fire hose is like, you will drown yourself. So it's like, but to, to, to your point, I mean, it's, so, you know, in a fire hose, like you're, you're thinking about education, it's, it's water and it flows, but you go there when you're thirsty. But then the other piece is that you're, you're, you're where you're aiming for is what you need to drink at that time or what pushes you to say, Hey, I didn't think I need to drink this, but I, but I went, I pushed my boundary enough to, to get something new. And now I'm thirsty to follow another stream. But my other, another analogy just came up with, and this is interesting because we were talking about your Disney trip too, is that saying, okay, if you, if you plan a trip, or we're talking about the inquiry cycle, right? So plan, act, reflect, uh, assess, and then, and then reflect and then plan again, right? So that reflect piece. And so when you're sort of stuck, if you've, if you've not assessed anything for, I mean, you have, cause you've started somewhere, but you're reflecting on what you're gonna plan. And then as you go through that, so I said, so we're going on a trip. So you're planning for a trip, reflecting, I might wanna go to Australia. I'm planning, here's the places I'm gonna go based on information that I've gathered in the sources of where I am in my life now. So I, I act, I go and have that experience. And so some experiences are great, some are not so great, some matched what I thought was gonna happen, some didn't. Um, then I assess this trip was a success or, or, or it wasn't or whatever. It's like, but now I'm reflecting on what did I, what did I actually love about it? And then, and then I guess this is, I'm wondering in your journey, I'm, I, like I, we are going back to Australia. We're taking our daughter, but like, I, I want to do something new and not just for the sake of novelty and not just for the sake of innovation, but I'm like, I don't want to go back to the same place. But at the same time, like Disney, there are places that want, are so big and so involved and so embedded and have just that wonderful feeling that I want to experience them again because I know it won't be the same experience. But And I know I love this type of candy at this place, so I will get that, but I want to try a new restaurant, right? So I wonder if some people are just always refining to perfection, which is not realistic in human life or education. But if it's, but if it's a goal towards moving forward, then maybe people reflect differently depending on what they want to get at the end. Maybe. And and people have different different perspectives on the risk of it as well to sort of put their, to put their, it's not even putting their ideas to the test, but just sort of sometimes putting their brain down on paper and to see it outside of their, entirely outside of their, their the safety of their context. Do you, what are your thoughts on, um, in, in, in the frame of reflective practice, has it, have we moved into a space now where, reflective practice is really in its most robust form when it sort of is shared, you know, sort of uh, peer reviewed sort of thing. Is that, is that, have we arrived there? Do you think it is necessary? Not the word, bad word necessary. Is it, is that the, the credibility line that if you are engaged in some sort of reflective practice that you should be prepared to share that reflective practice? Well, and I wonder if it's just about depth right? Like, so I would say it as, and I think about this is why some people, when they like, I even was calling sort of, um, some coaching that we're doing, like, uh, 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 like counseling, right? So if, if I'm, if I'm struggling with something and I allow myself to be vulnerable enough to share it with myself inside my own head, like this is why they like this writing or output 
and again, I'm not an expert in this, but it's supposed to be more beneficial, right? Like, so in cognitive behavioral therapy, you're supposed to actually write it down. And so, um, but not being, not loving writing things down, is that because I don't want to do the work in my brain? Is that because it makes it real? Or is it because I just really don't like writing? Either way, if I, so if I do that process, then, and I, and I do read it again at some point, or it's the process, or it's about the process, right? Something about the process allows it to be let go, let, let go. But when it's about in a professional context, as opposed to like personal mental health context, is that you're still, it's still your bias, right? Like, so you want an out, I, I would want an outside facilitator to push back against it. I want some tension in it. Otherwise I'm like, I just say what I think in my brain and I'm like, and that's where it goes to the mindset. Either I say, if I was, if I'm not, it's that confidence and confidence piece too, right? Like I'm not good enough, everything's terrible, or I'm so great and awesome and everyone else sucks. If I don't ever get any feedback as to where, how the rest of the world gives me feedback on how I reflect, then I don't know where I stand necessarily in a professional context. So I I enjoy the pushback, not for the sport of it, um, not for, you know, the popularity of it, but then say, okay, am I on the right track? And how is someone outside of me? Because even if I try and reflect, we talked about lenses before, right? Okay, I'm now I'm trying to put on, and I, and I try and be an empathetic person, and I try and imagine, like, everybody as the 8 to 10-year-old kid, because that was who, like, I have that for students when they're sitting in my classroom. It's sometimes harder with adults or internet trolls, but if I imagine when they were an 8-year-old kid, what is their lived experience and story, and what would they say about this, um, then that sort of keeps it in check. But so professionally, I mean, I try and always imagine it from the a learner desk um yeah i don't know i so it, you know i forget and i went so deep into my head that i forgot that <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome i'll come looking for you i'll come looking for you it's fair so i what i take from that is for you the share is important for others you have to take into consideration a lot of little bits before you sort of fall on any one one sort of judgment let's say so for me, uh, the reflective practice is akin to story keeping and storytelling. I, I come to realize that that me as a teacher, um, you know, in brackets, I would put storyteller beside it, to be honest, because I find that my, um, my drive includes other bits and pieces of, of stuff going on, whether it's a math lesson or history, history lesson, or it's just a, you know, sir, I need to talk to you kind of a moment. My reflective practice in general, I think I do look at it as a, as one long story. And in doing so, I feel like, I feel like I can almost, I can let go of the, you know, the formalized reflective practice kind of moniker only because I think that storytelling in itself, like the oral tradition of storytelling is not only a reflective practice, but it's inherently communal. Like you, you have to have someone to tell that story too. And then in doing so, in doing so, I think there's an unset expectation that not that the story necessarily stays the same, but that it does change, even as it sort of commutes over the distance between the mouth and the ear, like something is picked up that's slightly different and it sort of arrives and it's slightly different that, you know, then the story becomes that person's story. And I think, you know, in my, somewhere in my brain, it's sort of, you know, that's, and I think I mentioned this as part of, part of my approach with the podcast is to try and create a space where some story can come out, but I really don't know exactly what that's going to be until, um, until I'm kind of right in the middle of the chapter. And even then I'm still wondering, okay, where are we going to go next with this? Yeah, and it's it's interesting, like as you as you're saying this, I'm thinking about so many different levels. Like, you mean your students are are part of your story, and yes. then I mean, and that's I think that's the human the human nature of a story. And that's I mean, when people talk about robots taking over, you know, for teachers, like they won't because there's not they don't have their own story, right? Like even if even if the AI could write a story that you know would seem to make sense in a story they don't own it right and then and then it's not shared and it's not passed on um yeah i i, I i'm loving this chat because I, I i'm thinking about all these things and i think but when your stories come back to you then they're also changed like i there was this one um professional learning experience where uh we were taking an approach with teachers we we're teaching them and uh, well trying to 
get them familiar with a new technology tool. And it was a small group and, and always before we would train them or do it in a very linear way. And I said like, uh, I mean, I'm a discovery based learner when it comes to tech, all, all the people who I know who work in tech did that, but I know it's not everybody's preferred domain, but I'm like, well, let's, 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 they can figure this out. A kindergarten kid can figure this out there. It's their own obstacles and fear of tech that won't let them. So I said, okay, what we're going to do is you can talk to anyone in the room but you can't talk to us for 10 minutes, the people who know how to work this tool said, and you're, you're working collaboratively together and we're gonna call this productive struggle. And at the end of 10 minutes, we will help you in any way that you want, but for 10 minutes, you can only help each other and you will figure it out. And he said, and if it's something that is not productive in the struggle, like your login doesn't work and you cannot solve that on your own, then put up your hand and we'll help you. But other than that, we're not telling you what to click. We're not telling like, here's what we're asking you to try and do. And so, and the one individual was very uncomfortable and, and kept asking for help. And the other educator who was a different train, like different person than I had worked with on the other sessions, she's a kindergarten educator. And we both, we felt so bad because here's an adult in a professional learning context who's asking us for help. And so we just looked at each other. And we're like, okay, we will do it in 10 minutes. We promise. Like it was, and so anyway, they did it. Everyone had success. Yay. For this particular individual, I didn't get a lot of feedback. I haven't like from that individual, but then I've since when we we're doing talking about mindset or with math with people, I would talk to the adults and say like, this is, you know, being like we're, we're doing this and, and this is why, and this is what happened. And this was hard for us to, to do this, but this is important to do or what I can't remember how I ended it. But then like two in services later, this person came up to me who I, who I, recognize and she said since you did that she said I've do that with my students all the time like this has made a huge impact and I'm like and it wasn't something that we had sort of consciously thought through it was hard for us to do but I'm like but now that's a story that's now part of her students stories and then I can now in, in imparting it to you going this is these are the layers of this so is that ref it's forced me to be reflective because it's taken back in time to that very first time right like um, which solidifies that experience and and so again, even in that moment for that learner in that context, it's now morphed into so many different things. Um, and that's made me be reflective on it three different times. Do you know what I mean? With, but I was, if, if nothing had happened out of that, like if I hadn't, you know, in the moment in this other PD made this connection, it could have been lost, right? So I think sometimes reflection just happens serendipitously when it needs to happen for you. And I just hijacked the story and went on another tangent, but there you go. No, it totally works. Especially you, you, you know, you, you, you keyed me in on that productive struggle. I like that. I, I just, as a turn of phrase, I like that. I think I employ that tactic quite often and almost to the point where sometimes the learner is like, you've abandoned me. I'm like, well, let's discuss what abandonment is. <laughs> and like, you're doing it yeah. again. Like, just, just tell me what yeah. to do. I'm like, if, but if I tell you what to do, they go, I know, I know you're going to take away something from the experience. I'm like, let's just pause there for a moment. No, I don't want to breathe and become mindful. Come on, sir. Just tell me what to, I'm like, <laughs> productive but it, but struggle. It, it, it's hard to shift. Right. And I think of it, I, I've used with my students before, like, you know, you're, you're running really hard, like at a brick wall, trying to get out of this room. And if you, and sometimes if you like take a step back and look like the door is right beside you, but then sometimes, and, and it's interesting because as a gamer, I have like, I went, when I was growing up, I never wanted to use cheat codes. And I remember the two games that I solved and both were Infocom games where you had like the, the old highlighter pen to like have the, the things come up because we were stuck. Right. And this was back in the day where when you were stuck, there was no, like, and thinking about that, it's like, oh, I feel like I didn't do it entirely on my own. But I've come to a place where, yeah, there's, you have to also begin to recognize when your struggle is no longer productive, right? Like if yes. you really, and then when you need to ask for help or you need to walk away, um, or if it's just about the journey, like we, we did the Diefenbunker escape room in, in Ottawa this summer and we didn't escape and, but it was so fun. And I'm glad we didn't, like, I'm, I'm you, we asked for a couple of hints right? Like as, as, cause we wanted to get closer to achieving, we didn't achieve and likely wouldn't have, but if we achieved only hint after hint after hint, the experience wouldn't have been there either. Right. So it's that like, I don't know the, the cheat code, but I'd love to unpack that more too. Is that when is, how does that relate to productive struggle? Holy man. Look at the timer. I know we didn't even get to <laughs> half the stuff. I think Sorry, we Dana. got to a, a whole other, like, if I, if I say, you know, we kind of stepped into the TARDIS, does that yep, bigger that, on the well, inside than on the outside? Like, I really feel like we kind of, uh, but that's cool. I mean, that's exactly, I felt like uh, that's kind of something to tease apart. I'm going to, I'm going to throw something your way because there is other bits that I still need to pull out of your head. Yep. Um, 
I'll say that a, a kind of a nice package though is the is about the sixty minute chat. I'm gonna reach back out to you and we'll get to okay. part two. Sweet. You want you want to be that the first part two that we've done, sort of on uh, chasing squirrels. You you good with that? Um, I love that. If if um, you know, I would love to continue the conversation. If you want to record it and make another podcast, that is sweet. And maybe maybe yeah. I'll reflect and listen to it again, or maybe I'll like, oh, my voice sounds weird. I don't know. You know, I think part of I liked I liked this because it did. You know, someone's going to listen to it and like, oh, there goes Clough. Because people that <laughs> some of the people that know, like I I enjoy sort of pursuing this. Um, yeah. You know, not not to sort of give a hat tip to the actual, you know, the name of the podcast, but that's kind of that's part of what the pursuit is, because um, the original story is like really about catching a squirrel. It it is about catching. My dog caught a squirrel one time off a tree, and it's like the most impossible task. Yet my dog just kind of walked around and grabbed it off the tree. So sometimes these conversations become that moment, and like, what do you do with it? You just kind of you got to go with it. And there is, I don't think there is a really clean exit from a conversation about reflective practice and i think sometimes that's what makes it difficult to talk about it in academic settings because it's compartmentalized in a way like it it is just it's a should be done and it can't in a, in a prescribed fashion and you have people that f- really can't see the door like you said you yeah. like you said you might be standing right beside it but the way that it's kind of packaged so i think someone maybe queuing into this podcast is going to get a whole lot of little possible ways, possible ways to kind of access a little bit of their reflective practice and um, maybe move forward with something to, you know, gather a deeper understanding of how they do the things they do or what it is they're actually doing. In part two, I'd like to get more, get more, dig more into your techie side if we could. Yep. You cool with that? Totally cool with that. So the primer for that is, uh, so the whole, like this whole thing kind of started with me talking about, you know, witnessing a conversation on Twitter that you had, a Twitter chat. The the other thing that was um, kind of firing me off was seeing uh, your selfie standing in front of the doors at uh, ISTE and and the joy on your face. And I thought to myself, um, I think I need to hear a little bit about this. Yeah, and, and I've been very reflective about about ISTE. Very thankful for the opportunity. So yeah, I would love to go there. Cool. Um, can I can I give a retro, and you can cut this if you want, but a retro like visual shout out because I like the TARDIS. But then I'm imagining, okay, you know, in the Matrix when like they dodge the bullets and everything goes slow. So imagine that speed, but it's like in Karate Kid when he's catching the fly with the chopsticks. It's the chopsticks coming towards the fly in slow motion. And like matrix slow motion, and then we're we're going towards because I and that the other piece with the dog and the squirrel. So it was funny when I sent my colleagues this podcast saying, "Hey, check this out." They thought it was a joke because chasing squirrel. They thought I had made the the thing because our um, our our old principal of the program, who's now a superintendent on our board, talked about that she loves to ch- she's always chasing squirrels, right? Like mm-hmm. which is going after like in a in a connected, meaningful, passionate way. Uh, so they th- totally thought it was a joke. I'm like, no, it's a re-, and they're like, oh, it's a real podcast. So anyway, uh, we love your title. That's and, cool. Uh, Good. I'm glad it, it's sort of it's it is it has I you know when it kind of popped into my mind, I'm like some people are going to get it right away other people like because i yeah because i think i think i just call it chasing squirrels i don't even sort of throw podcast on it so people come across they're like you know what do you mean what are you talking about and for me to even have a story to justify it you know dog grab squirrel have you ever right? tried to catch gonna... one yourself you ever tried to catch no, one? no but have i ever, but i have, have you done the count the counter spin thing like you approach it and it goes around the back side of the tree and then you sort of shift the other way it comes around the other side of the tree and it's like you're playing this weird kind of like um what's that called musical chairs thing and eventually the squirrel has disappeared and it appears up on the you know that branch 50 feet up uh if you that's don't have that it's that's not part of one of your lived experiences it is a fun afternoon <laughs> oh it so will be one of my like i i might not be able to do the other podcast because i might be in the backyard um <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> capture that record some audio or or, oh, totally. or or vlog it i'm now approaching the squirrel yeah squirrel, yes i'll get a gopro just for the just for the event maybe a drone overhead yeah <laughs> that would be perfect 
Okay, so um, so for part one and for future, but at least for, for right now, where would you like to be found if someone wants to reach out and talk just a little bit more about uh, reflective practice or maybe something that we talked about wasn't entirely clear, so they want to kind of continue that conversation? Where would you like to be found? Yeah, my Twitter is probably the best because, as I said, my other ones are sort of – that's where my most active – active in current spaces so that's just at jen with one n apgar a p as in peter g as in george a r fantastic i'm looking forward to reaching back out me too and i will uh i'm super i'm super glad you connected and um i feel like a kindred deep spirit and i and i'm sure even just other people that i know who who resonate with this type of thinking uh will also want to resonate with with your type of thinking so they'll hopefully tune in too yeah, absolutely. I look forward to um, any conversations that spark out of this. And of course, if uh, if if there's someone someone in your collective, they're like, yeah, you know, maybe I'd like to sort of do that kind of thing too. Send them my way. I'm 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 more than happy to uh, have conversations. So um, awesome. I will for sure. Okay, cool. We'll talk again soon. We'll set it up, and you have a fantastic evening. You do. Take care. Thanks, Jen. All right. Good night. Good night. Chasing Squirrels podcast can be found on Podbean and iTunes. If you want to have a conversation on the podcast, please reach out to me. Probably the best way to connect with me is on Twitter. So that would be at Chris J. Clough. I also blog a little bit on WordPress. Feel free to check in on some of those topics. And I really do appreciate the time you spent with the podcast. Thank you for listening and have a fantastic evening.